0: Hey, this is Dr. Jim Cox, and this is February the 12th, 2024, and um, we are finishing up the book, A Basic Bible Prophecy, by Ron Rhodes, and uh, the next part of this will be looking at, uh, because Valentine's Day is coming up, I decided to uh, talk about the love of God, and I'll be doing that as we finish this book up. So... Uh, You have this table called the Seven Churches of Revelation. And on page 192 of the book, and this kind of came out of the blue here. I mean, I just see he included this. And it's it's called Lessons Learned from the Seven Churches of Asia Minor. And uh, he writes this. He says, He says, in Revelation 2 and 3, we read about seven churches in seven cities in Asia Minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. The Apostle John was a spiritual overseer of all seven churches. He was literally their spiritual father. While these chapters do not speak of the distant prophetic future, they are nevertheless contained in a prophetic book, Revelation. And for good reason. These are powerful spiritual lessons we can sift from an examination of these churches. And some of the lessons that he points out is, number one, doctrinal accuracy and moral purity are important. But these things are not enough. Supreme love for God and others is also necessary. Christianity is more than just being doctrinally correct. It involves an ongoing love relationship with the Lord. And that's what I'm gonna be talking about here in a little bit. Number two, do not sweat over earthly troubles. Our destiny in heaven is secure, rejoice. Number three, repent of openness to false teachings which can lead to appropriate, inappropriate behavior. And abstain from all forms of fornication and sexual immorality. Avoid hypocrisy, which involves the pretense of having a virtuous character when in reality no such virtue is present. Christians should be as what you see is what you get, right? That was an old statement by Flip Wilson, an old comedian. What you see is what you get. Do not be lukewarm in your commitment to God. And so those were the lessons. So if you take a look at the chart that I gave you, YOU SEE the, the, THE SEVEN CHURCHES, AND THEY'RE BROKEN DOWN TO A COMMENDATION TO ALMOST ALL THE CHURCHES, EXCEPT THE Laodicean CHURCH. NOW, I WON'T READ THROUGH, I'LL LET YOU READ THIS ON YOUR OWN, BY THE WAY. Uh, I JUST WANTED TO HAVE SOMETHING to REFERENCE. AND THEN A CONDEMNATION. AND THERE ARE TWO CHURCHES THAT DO NOT HAVE A CONDEMNATION, THAT IS SMYRNA, THE PERSECUTED CHURCH, AND PHILADELPHIA, THE TRUE CHURCH. And there's some counsel for each one, and uh, the one that uh, that I think is important here is the one to Ephesus, and it says the condemnation is thou hast left thy first love, and it says remember from where thou' have fallen and repent, and so the the Ephesus church. The main thing was, you love me, but it's not like it was at the beginning. And maybe that's the way we are. Sometimes we take not only God's love for granted, but people around us as well. And it's easy just to let that happen without really thinking about it. And so although the, the Ephesian church was doing good works, Still, it wasn't the passion and the zeal they had, the first love they had with God. So take a look at that. I think it'll be instructive for you. Uh, we may get to that again in the new book. I'm not sure where it's addressed in that book, but uh, we may get to that again we'll spend more time on it. So let's take a look at the handout I gave you. And like I said, this is Valentine's coming up in two days. and. I just felt led, like I said, called an audible if you're watching football. You get up to the line, you see it's not what you thought, you call it an audible. Well, I kind of did that tonight. So, four facts about God that are undeniable and will not change. In the first one, I cited a couple of verses here Romans 5 8. But God shows his love for us. And that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we love because He loved us first. He first loved us. So what was there about us that caused God to choose us? You get to wonder if He didn't have to hold His nose, or so speaking, right? There's nothing. Nothing desirable by it. In fact, we were sinners, all of us, since all sin and for, fall short of the glory of God (Romans 3:23). All of us, and yet God chose, in His infinite wisdom, of which far beyond our understanding, He chose us to have a relationship with Himself, and He took the first move. He chose us even when we weren't worthy. And the scriptures tell us that. So the first undeniable fact about God's love, and this will not change, is that I have been adopted because of his love into the family of God, and God is my father. If you have trusted his son, Jesus Christ, and you've asked him in your life, as it says in John 1.12, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. If you receive him in your life as your Savior, believe that he is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, that he died for your sin and God raised him from the dead. It tells us in Romans 10.9 that you shall be saved. And we had that relationship. And it tells us in Ephesians 1, 3, 2, 6, you can read read along with me. Now, I don't understand it, but it tells us in love, he chose us to be part of his family. And since he chose us, we can't unchoose ourselves. We're secure in him. He chose us before the foundation of the world, before we were ever born. God's not limited by time as we are. And he chose every one of us that has accepted him, his son, to be part of his spiritual family. And he did it in love, it tells us, in love. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. And it says, what does it mean to be lavish? What does that mean to be lavish? Oh yeah, overabundant, overflowing. He it says God lavishes his love on us. Are we deserving? No. We can't earn it. Yes, Paul, go ahead. So the question Paul's asking is, did he choose us because we knew we would choose him? Is that it? Yes. Okay. Well, God's sovereign, and yes, he's omniscient, but even further, he's sovereign. Uh, I think it's, um, trying to think here, uh, the verse says that God established his throne in the heavens and he is sovereign over all. So, even though he's omniscient, uh, omniscient, he would not be able to know anything unless he ordained it. He has to ordain it before he can know it. Every atom in the universe is under his control. There are no rogue atoms. If there's a rogue atom, then he would not be sovereign. So, The main principle we see in Scripture, I'm going to show you a verse here in just a moment. The main principle we see in Scripture is God does whatever will glorify Himself the most. Some people think, well, the main thing in Scripture is redemption. It's not. He glorifies Himself through redemption. But He is glorified because He is God and there's no one like Him. And in Psalm 46, 9 and 10, it says, remember their formal things of old, for I am God and there's no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, all my counsel will be established and I will accomplish all my purpose. How can he say that if it was up to man to make a decision? He says, I'm sovereign. And what I declare is going to happen. I'm going to accomplish all my purpose. You're going to say, well, how do we know that? Well, let me give you one verse. And uh, one verse that comes to mind is Acts 13:48. I think it, it addresses, addresses what you're talking about there. So let me go to the book of Acts. In chapter 13. This is kind of an interesting verse, 1348, and it says this, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. What? Yeah, all who were appointed for eternal life, they believed. That's kinda of sound like God's sovereign. Don't we have a free will? Yes, we do. God merges his free our free will and his sovereignty, and we don't understand how he does it. We know we have free will because he holds us responsible, but you know, God's still in charge. So, in answer to your question, the short answer is that He's chosen us, just like He chose Israel. No merit. And God will work his purpose for that to happen. I'm getting a little off field here, but I'll give you two more, two more things. Questions still? No, 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 okay, I my questions. this might hurt your head. <laughs> <laughs> it, right before that, a little bit later on in Acts in chapter 16, when Paul meets Lydia and she was the first convert in Europe, it tells us that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to understand the words of Paul. Ooh, kind of sounds like a sovereign thing again. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers so he will not understand the gospel. Some believers are blinded by Satan. And Jesus said that in John 6:37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and all that comes to me I will not cast out. He goes further in John 6:44, and he says, Nobody comes to me except the Father draws them. So two things have to happen sovereignly. When, if, we're trying, if we want someone to come to Christ, I pray definitely two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit would unblind their eyes because Satan has blind their eyes. And number two, that the Father would draw that person to Jesus. Because he said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. So God's in control. So short answer is that uh, for whatever reason, God has ordained those that would come to believe, yet they believe their own free will, And he chose them based upon love. Even though we didn't deserve it. But you're not talking predestination. What's that? You're not talking predestination. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. Okay? I'm telling you what the scriptures say. Predestination is a topic for another night. Okay? But I'm just reading what the scriptures say. He says he chose us from the foundation of the world. He tells us in Romans 9, he says, I love Jacob, but hated Esau, even though they have done nothing yet. What? There's an argument there I won't get into, but, you know, Paul says, who can find fault then? And Paul's answer is, well, who are you that criticize the potter? The potter can do whatever he wants because God's God. And we're not. Do we have a choice? Yes. We have free will. We have to choose Christ. And ask him to come into our life. That's all we should worry about. All right? And people say well. Hey if there are the elect. Then why should we even worry about it? I'm not talking about love by the way. I gotta, I gotta get back but. Because God commands us to share his love with other people. It tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It tells us a little earlier, it says, how will they hear unless they have a preacher? See, we're plan A for God to accomplish his his purpose. We're plan A. But I'm just reading the scripture, and the scripture tells me, he says, He says says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. The motivation was his purpose of his will. To glorify himself. I'm just going to let God be God. Folks. I may not understand it all and all the details. I'm going to believe his word and that's what he says and all I can do is say like Paul said it's all God's grace unmerited favor I didn't deserve it I didn't earn it Paul said he was the worst of sinners and if God can save Paul he can, he can save anyone and look at the relationship he gives us in Romans 8:15 and 16 and by the way if, if down the road you want to get more into predestination or election, I can do that. I teach on I teach on doctrinal state, doctrine as well. I don't just teach on prophecy. I teach on apologetics, defending your faith and doctrine. Um, I've done that for years. And I let the scripture speak for itself. I, if you get to know me, I don't try to give my opinions. I try just to go through the scripture and say so when when people ask me, well, you know, is God ordained or is he just luck ahead and he just sees who's gonna accept him? Well I go to a verse like Acts thirteen forty eight, says all those who are ordained to eternal life believed. That kind of gives an order there, right? I'm not reading anything into the scripture. In fact, when I came across that scripture I must have looked that up in ten or twelve different sources. I wanted to make sure I was reading it right, okay? So, but but I let scripture say what it says and sometimes I just have to let God be God, he's sovereign. I may not understand it and how it works, but I just take it as it's written. Romans eight fifteen sixteen 16 so, says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Not only does he call us into a relationship with himself, he says, My relationship with you is going to be like daddy. That's what Abba means. But the word Abba doesn't mean daddy without respect, that word actually means father with respect but an intimate relationship so as God called us in love but he's called us into an intimate relationship with himself if you think of the closest person to you and your lover's relationship with them God says I want my relationship with you to be even closer than that closer than that I love you that much. So what is my heavenly Father like? First John 4 8 says, anyone who does not love does not go know God, because God is love. And then 1 John 4, 16, so we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us. God is love, and who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So twice we're told that God is love. That's his essence of love. I'm gonna come back to that again in a little bit, but let's go on to my other three points here. God is sovereign in my life and is always mindful of what's happening to me. Romans 8:28. and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, those who are called according to his purpose. Those who have been called according to his purpose, those who have believed, he takes everything in your life, he's aware of everything, and he works together for good for you. The thing itself may be bad, by the way. The thing itself may be bad, but he is aware. And you know what? He only allows through what's gonna be useful for us. Remember Job? And Satan comes up and says, Complains to God about, about people only follow God because they, God gives them things. And, and he says, look at my servant Job. He says, and then he points out that God has put a hedge around Job. Knows that? Put a hedge around him. You know, God does that with us. We live in a fallen world, I know that. And we have things that affect us all the time or those that we love. But God's still sovereign. And the only thing that touches us is what he allows that to happen. He's sovereign in your life. He's sovereign in my life. As he was in Job's life. But he works all things together for good. Matthew ten twenty nine thirty one 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you're more valued than many sparrows. It's unbelievable that God knows even the number of hairs on our head. Can you imagine that? He knows us that, intimus, that intimate. And that he's sovereign. Not one sparrow falls ground apart from God allowing that to happen. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him. Psalm 139, 17, 18. I really like this verse. It says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Do you know what that says? You know, some people think God is so... He's dealing with all the big things. How could he care about me? And yet this scripture tells us that God's thoughts towards us, each one of us, are so many that we can't even count them. If you read Psalm 139, uh, you you need to take a look at that Psalm. It says that God is aware when we wake up and when we sleep, he's there when we're sleeping, when we wake up, he's still there. He says he puts, it says he hems us in before. And behind. It's unbelievable that God cares for us that much. That he's always aware and always there in that love relationship he has with us. And as I write, nothing touches me unless it goes through my Heavenly Father's hand. And God loves me very much. John seventeen twenty-three says, I and them and you and me. This is Jesus' real prayer. Jesus' prayer in John seventeen. And he says, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. I had to read that again. It says that God loves me as he loves Jesus, God the Father. He loves me that much, like he loves the son. And I love this word picture in Luke 15, 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know, that's the story of the prodigal son. And if you remember the story, the son wanted his inheritance but show he didn't respect his father because you're supposed to wait, you know, after they die to get your inheritance. And he wanted his inheritance and the father granted it to him. And so what do he do, he goes off and he throws it all away. Pretty soon he is eating with the pigs and he says, why should I do this? I'll, I'll go back to my father and beg for his forgiveness. Maybe I can be a servant. And here's the picture, here comes the son and once you know it, the father's looking for him every day. And he sees the silhouette coming from the distance he recognizes this is my son. And what does he do? He takes off and runs to him. Back in those days it was not honorable for an elder to to take off and run. He didn't care. He loved his son. And when he sees his son, he gives them an old daddy hug and a kiss on the cheek. Kind of like I do with my kids. I see them, I give them a big hug. Usually a kiss on the neck or on the cheek. That's my right as their dad to do that. He may not like it, but uh, that's my right. And that's, I think, of the word picture of how much God loves us. You know, when I approach God and... I get into the scriptures and I get into, I always imagine that the father running to me giving me a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. And the son, did he deserve it? He didn't deserve it. The way he treated his dad and so forth, and the father forgave him. He says, I love you, son. You're not a slave, you're my son. And celebrated it. That's the relationship we have with the Father, folks. He loves us that much. And, and I challenge you, think of that word picture. Every time you approach His word, He's waiting for you to have that relationship with them. He takes the initiative. He looks forward for that fellowship that we have with them. And I write down here, nothing I can do or not do will cause him to love me more than he already does. He loves us that much. And he will never forsake or leave me. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there. He's always faithful. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think it covers about everything. I can't think of anything left out. Nothing is going to separate us from his love. And he tells us that because we he loves us like that, we should love others that way. And he says in John 13 here, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now let's let's talk about God and his character. We read earlier on that God is love. And so if you flip over the page here on the other side, Remember, 1 John 4, 8, which we cited, it says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Well, isn't it interesting that in 1 Corinthians 13, we have a description of what love is? What's the Bible's view of love? What is that like? So let me read the passage here. You can read along with me in 1 Corinthians 13:4 through 7. Love is very patient and kind. Never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way, it is not irritable or touchy, It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. So I ask myself the question, well, how does that relate to God? If God is love, how does he exhibit these characteristics as it relates to me? And so that's what I tried to do here in the uh, what follows. So he mentions patient. Love is Patient. God is patient with me even when I am slow to learn and keep on making the same mistake and committing the same sins. He never turns his back on me. He knows my weaknesses and he still accepts me as his child. Praise God for that. Kind, love is kind. God is kind and gentle when dealing with me. He is thoughtful in giving me what I don't deserve Every good gift. He is gracious to me. He is not harsh in his relationship with me, but gives me just what I need to grow and for my good. Love is never jealous. God wants the best for me and desires an intimate relationship with me. It's never envious or boastful or proud. God reveals only what he truly is. He is God Almighty. Yet he is not arrogant towards me. He wants an intimate relationship with me, never haughty or selfish or rude. God is not rude. Even though he is far above me, he is respectful to me as his child. I have value in his eyes. God is not selfish but cares for my needs. He's not demanding love that doesn't demand its own way. God does not insist on his own way. He gives me a free will to choose, even though he is sovereign and in complete control. He gives the promise that if I delight in him, he will give me the desires of my heart. God is ever giving. He wants my joy to be full in him and wants to give me an abundant life. Love's not irritable or touchy. God is not irritated at me. He is not easily provoked or angered. He is approachable and not touchy. He tells me to come boldly before his throne to find help in time of need. Love is not resentful. God is not resentful. He does not hold grudges and does not hold my wrongs against me. Love is not glad in injustice and and is glad in truth. God never condones injustice or wrongdoing. Ultimately, he will make everything right. He moves to have truth went out. I can trust him when life does not seem fair. It says here that love is loyal. God believes in me and he will be loyal and faithful to me no matter what the circumstances. And it says that love expects the best and defends. God expects the best, expects the best from me and remains steadfast in difficult times. He is on my side and for me. He will never leave me or forsake me. Nothing touches me unless he allows it. Can't you love that kind of God? God is love. Well, something for you to think over as we have Valentine's Day. Think of the love that God has for you. Let me hand out one last handout. Thanks for letting me share that, by the way. I felt God led me to do that and a little out of the ordinary that we've doing here. Let me give you a handout on the uh, contact information uh, for the next class that we're going to start. And uh, let me pass this around. And uh, I'm just going to put down the, the uh, microphone and then hook my little thing here so I can move around. Let me do that. I'll talk about this in just a second here, but let me pass. Let's go ahead and pass them this way. To catch that back. back. We'll start these down this way. We, uh, we had this contact information at, when we started the last class or the last book. Clip myself back up here. There we go. And so I wanted to give you contact information again here uh, as we start the, uh, the, the basics of Bible prophecy. Again, we're going to continue to meet in the second and fourth Mondays of each month. We're going to meet in this room, 630 to 830. There's my contact information if you have a, if you have a question. Um, by all means, if you have a question during the week or between times when we meet uh, or something. By the way, uh, when I covered this uh, thing about God's love, uh, a lot of times I had in mind a scripture verse, but I didn't list it there. So if there's a thought in what I expressed and you have a question of whether it's a Bible verse that supports that, feel free to email me, and I'll be glad to give you a verse that supports all the thoughts that were in that last section about God's love. So um, there's my contact information in case you need me. If you'd like to text me, I do have a cell phone number I put on there, and you're welcome to do that. If you want to go over old lessons and, uh, or go over the lesson that we did here tonight and listen to it again, or if you had trouble sleeping, you need to listen to it to fall asleep. You're welcome to do that uh, as well. And then the book itself is right there. And again, for those that regularly attend, there's no charge for that. And feel free to look it over. You get a chance now, between now and next time. My plan will be, next time we get together, Lord willing, if the rapture doesn't occur, that we'll probably do the first couple of chapters. Now you will notice, at the end of each chapter, there are discussion questions. So, you'll want to have your own book so you can write your answers in there, but if you take a look at, say at the end of chapter 1, on page 10, I think it is, you'll see that there are a place to write answers. Now we won't skip over these, actually I'll tell you what I wrote, and you can contribute what you wrote now think it'll be a good discussion. So as we cover each chapter, we're gonna address things like, why do you think God devotes so much of his word to prophecy? Well, we're gonna talk about that And, and so forth. So let me encourage you to look at those discussion questions after you read the chapter, try to put some answers in there. Now, as always, if you do not get a chance to read the chapter or to answer discussion questions, I still want you to come. By the way, that's why I tell my students when I was teaching at the university, I said, I want you here. If you don't get it done, you don't read it, I still want you in class. So that's my philosophy. So uh, feel free to look over the book. Take a look at that. I'm anticipating that next time we'll be going through chapters one and two. Uh, I have a hard time, sometimes I can tell about where we're going to be. But when we have discussion questions at the end, depending on how much discussion we have, it may not be as easy to determine how much we're going to cover. Does that make sense? Okay. So, let me close in prayer for us. If you have any questions, I will stick around and try to answer those. And be glad to, to try, anyways. Father, thank you for who you are. Father, thank you that you are indeed our sovereign. And Father, we don't understand it. We didn't deserve for you to choose us, but you did. And Father, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us. You blinded our eyes. You drew us to your son, Jesus, our Savior. And we want to give you all praise and glory for that. Father, thank you that you in your scriptures, it tells us that from the very beginning, you tell us what the end will already be. And from ancient times, things not yet done, you already tell us that to demonstrate that you are God and there is no other, that you are God and there's none like you. And we give you that praise. Father, we pray that you help us to walk in such a way that we would live expectantly, expecting your return, that we would live righteously, that we would honor you in our walk, and also that we would live with eternity in our minds. Looking forward to someday meeting you, Lord, face-to-face. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you give us safety as we travel home tonight. And bring us back here again in a couple of weeks. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.